By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam Young Golf. So, did you play golf again? Uh, yeah. <laughs> was it video game golf or real golf? It was real golf. I had fun. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I had fun. I hit some long drives, but I didn't score very well. I suppose there, there is an interesting point there is that I hit the ball really well. I just didn't score very well. I don't even know what score I had because there was a point where I just kind of... I was out there socializing with a few guys and it was good fun. I really enjoyed it, but I, I was I really wasn't keeping track of score, but it wouldn't have been a good one anyway. But yeah, I mean, things like controlling the distance. I think I mentioned last week, the ball flies so far out here. And I've been practicing on my simulator actually at sea level. And so the ball is it's like 10% difference. It's really hard to adjust, even though you know you know it's going to go farther. It's hard to commit to that until you've seen it happen a few times and you float over the back a few times. So, And then there's just the usual stuff, being rusty from not playing real golf, You know, knowing how much uh, an uphill or downhill lie is going to affect the shot, knowing how much the wind is going to affect the shot, knowing how much you know the rough, how much of a flyer you're going to get out of it. Because I'm learning a new type of rough out here as well. And then short game stuff, you know, you stand over a 30-yard shot and it's like, well, I haven't practiced this in over a, over a year, so I've got, I've got to get used to this stuff, really. But as I said, it was good fun. That's the main point, really. What about yourself? Yeah, I think you bring up important points there that I always tell people about managing expectations on the course. And, and I think you did a great thing, just had fun no matter what. But 
you have to be on a golf course a lot to kind of gauge and get comfortable with all the things you're talking about. That's why it's so hard for, you know, sometimes you'll like, you, I think you had a, you shot two under on your first round back. Sometimes I see those as the fool's gold rounds after a long layoff. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about all the things that you have to work through and that comes with experience. So, but no matter what, you got to have fun. So that's good to hear. I played in another qualifier. I was trying to qualify for the Met Open, which is the premier pro tournament in the New York area. It actually used to be like a major back in like the 40s and 50s. It's been around for 100 years. I think like Walter Hagen and players like that used to win it. Anyway, I um, I played well. I shot a 74 on a tough course, which was two over. But the cut was much lower than I thought. It was 13 spots and ties, and it was one under that day. The wind, I was playing more of like a Lynx style course, Sea Wayne Golf Club, which is a great Devereux Emmett course on the south shore of Long Island. But I played well. That was probably the lowest score I should have shot. I was happy with it because I didn't have my ball striking game, but I was able to, I putt well, I made some good decisions. And, and that was probably, that was like one of those days that that was the lowest score I could have shot. So I was happy with it that I put myself there, but had a great time and you know, it's a course I haven't played well on before, but I was glad to have a nice round there and it was fun. So what's the topic for today then? So today we're going to talk about pre-shot routine, which I think both of us would agree is an incredible tool to have in your arsenal. I think a lot of people, I got a lot of questions on Twitter about pre-shot routines when I when I posted it on there. A lot of people are wondering, like, what do I do? Like, what's the point of this thing? And there's a lot of conflicting information. I don't think we have the right answers for everyone, but we're going to kind of, I think we're going to turn this into a two-parter and go over some of like what we believe are the cornerstones of a uh, productive pre-shot routine. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. So that that question, why have a routine or I think you phrased it differently, but what's the purpose? What's the point of a routine? You know, there's there's loads of reasons to have a good routine and it's it's information gathering, you know, things like lie. We'll we'll talk about all the things, but gathering information so you're fully prepared for the shot and then processing that information as well. And that helps us reduce clutter over the golf ball. So, you know, most of that information is going to be processed before the shot because there's nothing worse than standing over a shot and you're uncertain or you're double, you're second guessing yourself. What is it? Double guessing, second guessing? Second guessing. It's earlier over here. (laughs) I've only had my first coffee. My brain's not fully firing yet. But yeah, second guessing your shots. Yeah, you you want to stand over a ball confident, knowing exactly, right, this is what I'm going to be doing. These are the thoughts I'm going to be having over the shot. So, you know, even deciding your swing thought should kind of be done before you get into the shot. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I have some strong opinions on pre-shot routines. I would say my overarching like statement on pre-shot routines is that I, of course, think they're valuable. I think what they're capable of doing, I don't want to make it seem like we're going to help you wave a magic wand on your game by giving you this great pre-shot routine. I don't think pre-shot routines can like overcome poor skill, like all the stuff we talk about on impact, fundamentals, those type of skills. What I think a good pre-shot routine can do is bring those skills out of you more consistently. I often talk about on other episodes how a lot of people struggle with golf when they come to it from other sports because you're not reacting like you are and and let's say playing basketball soccer uh, sorry football as you call it and I think a pre-shot routine is a way to have this repeatable process before a shot that gets you into like that zone where you can kind of react to the situation versus 
standing over the ball and being like, uh-oh, what am I doing? So I think it to me, it, it's an opportunity to kind of hit an autopilot button and just let your body do kind of what it's capable of after making the right decisions, which we're going to get into. So that that's kind of my thoughts on, on what a pre-shot routine can and can't accomplish. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things for me is putting me in a flow state. So as you said, golf itself is not doesn't tend to be reactive, but a good routine can make you more athletic and more reactive. And so that helps that that certainly helps me play more consistently if I'm just, you know, kind of walking in and hitting the shot and not over analyzing things over the ball. You know, I've done all the analysis in the in the pre-shot routine. So it makes me more reactive over the shot, which makes me more athletic, which makes me perform better personally. That's not for everybody. You know, some people are going to require tweaks to that and they might have to have a swing thought over the golf ball that deals with any issues that they're having. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the flow state, I think we've talked about this in other podcasts, having a rhythmical routine. I suppose the best example of that is driving to work, right? If you drive to work and you go the same route every single day, you wake up at the same time, you brush your teeth, you you have a shower or whatever order you do it in, then you get in your car, you drive the same route to work. All these things, are if you do them consistently and in the same order each time, it helps you to kind of switch off your mind. You don't have to think about everything. And then all of a sudden you arrive at work, you get out of your car and you go, oh my God, did I run a few red lights there? I was completely in a zone. And obviously you didn't, but that's one of the goals with the golf routine is to put you in that automatic state where you're, you have a greater chance of bringing out your skills. Absolutely. It goes back to that driving is a wonderful example. I always bring up that Dave Stockton reference from his unconscious putting book where he wants golfers to putt like they're driving a car normally, which is you're not thinking about where your hands are on the wheel, how much you're pressing the gas, all of that stuff versus let's say a cop car was behind you. All of a sudden you're you're thinking so internally and, and, and guiding the car, it becomes less natural. So yeah, I totally agree. And that's that's what I, I believe my routine does for me. It gets me into that autopilot state as much as possible. One point I was desperate to make <laughs> before we get into our separate topics on what makes a good pre-shot routine is that I have a very strong opinion on this. I do not think that longer is better. I, I see a trend certainly on TV. I think watching pro golfers has contributed to this, but I, I see it more and more, particularly in tournaments with younger players, where the routines are getting longer and longer and longer, especially on the putting green. I just don't think that that could work for certain players, but I sometimes see players doing it and I think they're doing it just for the sake of doing it. So my plea to everyone when they're trying to create their own pre-shot routine, which I believe is personal, is that you want to be very, I guess, budget conscious with your time. I would only put something in there that actually has a purpose, not to just do something for the sake of doing it. You don't need to walk around the putting green three times separately and look at it from every single angle. I agree completely. I want people to be more reactive with it. We're not advocating slow play at all, if anything, the reverse. Yeah, and I think we're, we're both going to reference, you know, while it's probably not a scientific study, I'll let you, you know, cue up this. Uh, the European Tour did something interesting a few years ago on this topic. I know both of us. We're talking about it before we start recording, but why don't you share some of the, the findings that came out of it, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, so it, it was a scientific study. It was more of a correlation study. So yeah, 
But I have found as well, you know, although correlation doesn't automatically imply causation, I have found in my own teaching and my own game that when we improve or, or change someone's routine towards something that I would consider better, they do play better as a result. And they do play more consistently. So this, I think, is it, it will apply. And so anyway, this this is a study that looked at 47 tour players over 300 rounds. So I think there's something like 23,000 shots total. And they were looking at the amount of time that players spent between addressing the ball and hitting the shot. And they looked at the consistency that a player stuck to this as well. So, you know, if they spent three seconds over the ball on one swing and then, uh, you know, a round or two later, they spent eight seconds. They were just looking at the consistency of that. I don't know how they analyze that. but And then the components of the routine were also studied. So things like how many practice swings they took, uh, how many looks at the target they took as well. And so to give you some numbers on that, one of the most important findings was the less time spent over the ball, so the quicker you were over the shot, resulted in doubling your chances of holding a putt within five foot. It resulted in a 90% increased chance of gaining strokes over the field over all putts. There was a 20% more greens were hit on par fives, and there was a 12% improvement in tee shots and a calculated projected increase in 189,000 euros per season. So this was obviously done on tour players playing competitions. So basically, the quicker the routine, the better they performed. I remember seeing this. I think this came out a couple of years ago. I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, my main contention, we don't know for sure why this was or if it was just you know correlation, but I just feel like the more time you're spending over the golf ball, the more opportunity you allow for doubt and negative thoughts to come in and, and reducing what I think Adam and I are trying to unlock in people is that reactive athletic part of you. So the more time you spend over, it's like, oh, what am I doing with my right hand here? What, what should I do? You're thinking about you know something usually negative. I doubt someone's confidence is increasing <laughs> as they stand over the ball longer and longer. And I realize that that's a struggle for a lot of players. I know a lot of golfers can get stuck over the ball and there's a bit of a mental block there. And I think having the routine can help with that. But yeah, I, I think our goal when we give you all these tools, our cornerstones of, of a good pre-shot routine would be more time is not necessarily better. So that's one of my biggest pleas to everyone. So doing doing certain parts of the routine in the right times as well, you know, if it's your turn to hit your shot, you shouldn't be doing a lot of your pre-shot routine analysis because that should have been done while the other players were hitting the shot, if possible, obviously. If you're the first one up on the tee, then you might have to go through that stuff. But, you know, if I know I'm first up on the tee, I'm kind of racing to that next tee. So I can get there early, I can get up on the tee and I can start doing my analysis of how far is this and things like that. Or, you know, if you're hitting your second shot, you should be ready to play. You know, by the time it's by the time it's your time to go, you should be ready to play. Most of the analysis should be done. But yeah, I mean, some other other points about routines as well. It gives us a procedure to focus on, which I find personally helps helps with nerves. You know, um, I, I know Morikawa talked recently with his win about what he focuses on, how he deals with kind of negative thoughts. And he and his, his coach, um, oh, the names, uh, that's really embarrassing. The name of his coach is, uh, 
lost me. Do you know? I know he's been working. I, I forgot his name as well, but uh, I know he's been working with them on the mental game since he was like a kid, like eight or nine years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. The mental work they've done is pretty substantial. Yeah, exactly. I, I love the stuff they work on. And they talked about how, you know, when, when we're in nervous situations or under pressure, our brains tend to seek bad stuff, right? And it's interesting. So when when people are asked if they're ever held up at gunpoint and they're asked, can you describe the person? Usually they can't, but they can describe the gun very, very well. So the idea with that is that when we're under great stress, our brains get diverted disproportionately towards the danger. And I'm sure everybody listening has experienced this where you've played relaxed rounds of golf and you don't even notice the danger. You don't notice that there's water or bunkers here and there. And then all of a sudden you stand up on that tee in a, in a tournament situation and every single bit of danger comes straight into your attention, right? And that's an evolutionary advantage because when we're under stress, when we feel danger, we should be noticing what is causing that danger. If it's a lion or a tiger or something, our brain should be highly aware of it. But when it comes to golf, that's not going to help us. So how do we deal with that? Well, we tell our brains what we should focus on. We put it into positive terms. What do I want to do with this shot? And you build a clearer, better picture of it. Where do I want it to land? What is the trajectory I want to hit? What is the distance I'm trying to hit? So you're just building a picture and you're gathering as much information about what you want to do And that dissipates or gets rid of a lot of those negative things that come into our mind under pressure situations. Colin's coach's name is, uh, I'm probably going to butcher his last name, Rick Sessinghaus, I believe. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So Sorry, Rick. (laughs) Sorry about that, Rick. I, I doubt you're listening. But one of the greatest advantages of having this repeatable routine, when I think about like the, the golfer I used to be, which was someone who looked at the course with total fear and anxiety, looking at all the trouble where that's not totally gone. But, you know, how how can I play in tournaments now without feeling overly nervous is that I think I've settled on a routine that is so specific and I do, I've done it so long that it, it's just such a comfort to me that, you know, in moments, like I mentioned the other week when I had that putt, which I pretty much knew I had to make this 10 foot putt on the last hole to qualify for the biggest tournament of my life. I felt very comfortable over and didn't do anything different in terms of my routine. I just went through it. And and I think the reason I was able to do that, and again, I could have missed the putt. I, I happened to make it, but at least I was consistent with my routine was that I had been through that situation so many times in different versions of it, whether it was me gagging on around that I was going to break 80 on 10 years ago or, or whatever, that it, it just gave me comfort. And I, and I wasn't really thinking about what was going on so much. My body just kind of went through this routine and it just kind of happened. So in any event, I think we've made our cases for why you should have a pre-shot routine and maybe some... Well, actually, I'd like to I'd like to give a, just a couple more examples just to highlight yeah, this to people. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. So I, I think there's there's two main examples that you see all the time is, and, and this is why I advocate more for a consistent time over the routine. And that was found in the study as well, that it was consistency of routine as well as speed of routine that influenced someone's performance. Well, I know that Tiger and Annika, people have time their routines on TV and they were like within the milliseconds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tiger's actually talked about it. So I got a quote here. He says, one, one of the things I always go back to routine routine, routine. 
If you look at my routine, it doesn't change from the time I'm on the first tee to the time I'm on the 72nd hole of a major championship. It's always the same thing. So he's actually highly aware of it. And that video clip then goes on to him talking about his routine. And, uh, you know, he even mentions that when he's playing with some guys and they, he can see that they're nervous and they take maybe one more look at a target or one less waggle. And he knows that's the shot that they're going to hit. And we see this ourselves. I mean, I'm sure everybody's experienced this where we're called to play through a group, right? You, you... <laughs> yeah, I, that's like the most nerve wracking thing. <laughs> What's the first thing we do? We're like, oh, right, I've got to get out of the way of these guys. They let me through. And what do we do? We speed up our routine. And in Inevitably, you chop it around, embarrassing yourself until you're out of the way of the people. And then once you're out of the way, you, you slow down again, you get back to your normal normal rhythm, I, I should say, and uh, you start playing better again. And the, alt, the other side of that spectrum is people who slow down their routine more than normal when there's an important shot. They stand over that putt, and unlike what you did, which has kept the same routine, these people, they, they say, right, I've got to have another look at this one. I've got to go around the other side of this. Maybe let's do another practice swing. Let's maybe spend more time. And then you're slowing down. You're changing your routine. You're sending a signal to your brain that there's danger here. I've got to jump out of this automatic state and be more conscious. And then we know that when we're more conscious, our motor programs are less consistent. And so that's why a lot of poor performance is induced when we're speeding up or slowing down our routines more than normal. And there was actually a we try to be evergreen on this podcast, but I'll bring up a topical event. In the tournament yesterday, I think it was the, the WGC at the St. Jude Classic, Harris English, I don't know if you were watching, seemed to have like a commanding lead going into the back nine and he kind of fell apart. And he made some comments afterward. I think him and Bryson were put on the clock or something. And, and he was saying like, oh, you know, we had to play a lot faster. And it kind of took him out of his comfort zone. I don't know specifically why they were put on the clock. I think there was a rules thing. But for whatever reason, he was admitting to f- feeling rushed on the back nine. And he did not play well. He went from looking like he was going to cruise to victory to having a fairly tough finish to watch. So it could even happen to the players at the top of the heap. Yeah, I've I've had it where I suppose that the last time I played, the guys I was playing with were a little bit slower, and so there was it was kind of backing up behind us, and so I sped up my routine to kind of make up for them. I've done that before myself, <laughs> and so there we are. That's probably why I played bad. <laughs> there you go. You got your answer. All right. What what are the components of a routine then? So I think that the starting point is 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 you're going to have to go through some type of analysis before each shot. The whole point of the routine is to control what you can control in this uncontrollable game of golf. Like this is one of the few areas where you have complete control over. So I think that the best starting point is, is, is going through an analysis of the shot, you know, let's talk about that. And and again, this doesn't have to take 10 minutes. It should be done kind of in the background of the round. I, I think someone mentioned this on Twitter about walking the course. I know not everyone has the ability to walk the course, but I believe as someone who loves to walk the golf course, this is one of the advantages of walking is that 
you know, you can do this type of analysis as you're arriving to your ball versus, you know, if you're in a cart and kind of speeding there, it gives you a little less time to do it. Or with Google Maps now or, you know, all the apps on your phone Before as well. you show up, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, certainly when I prepare for a tournament on a course I've never played before, I'm doing a lot of analysis on the holes, taking a look at where the big trouble is off the tee different yardages, all that type of stuff so that I feel comfortable when I tee it up that I have a game plan for what clubs I'm selecting off the tee and my targets and certainly, you know, some knowledge on approach shots as well. So yes, I mean, it could be even before the round as well. Yep. And so one of the first things I do in the pre-shot analysis is I look at the lie. That's that's going to determine what you can and can't be done. So the lie of the, the ball itself, and then I suppose you can extend around it what you can do with your swing. So if you're in the trees, you know, you can you make a backswing? Can you make a follow through? And obviously, are there any trees blocking you off, which goes in with our last podcast, right? About chipping chipping out versus... Absolutely. The last two podcasts we've done, the, the first was on playing out of the rough. And then the, la- the last one we did was recovery shots and certainly evaluating the lie was was a big part of the rough one and the recovery shot one so if you haven't listened to those go back yeah so you're not going to stand there and think right the bunker on the green side is is 212 yards the back of the green is 230 yards and go through all of that analysis and then all of a sudden you go and have a look at your lie and go oh i can't get it more than 30 yards out of this thing so make sure you look at the life first because that's going to determine what your what your goal is what your next shot is and then you know after that I just do a brief visualization of of what I want to achieve with that shot it's not I'm not talking about going in depth and playing the shot in like the movies like Jack Nicholas was talking about I'm just like have a have a brief look out there and say, all right, what do I want? Where do I want this ball to go? Is there a bunker lip in front of me? Can I get it over that? So, I mean, most of that can be done. It's, it's really, it's not an, an obsessive thing that's really brief. I often make a connection between poker and golf. I view that the pre-shot analysis is very similar. Uh, I'm assuming you've played Texas Hold'em before. I view it as more importantly, building the skill of of like when the flop comes out. So great poker players, you know, they, they know the cards they have initially, the two cards they're dealt. So they're thinking about the odds of, of what they're trying to make. And then when the flop comes out, they like instantaneously know, okay, you know, here are my chances of this. And obviously, as you get more skilled at the game and better at the math and reading other players and their habits. All of that is easier to do. And I view that as a very similar thing in golf with the pre-shot analysis. So, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago when I was playing golf, as I would arrive to a shot, I'd probably be on like a little bit too much overload because I didn't really have a strategic system. I was very unsure of my skill as a player. So I'm worrying about all the bad things that can happen. And, and my, my brain was kind of jumbled, whereas to now, and it's taken a tremendous amount of failure and adjustment, I'm a bit more hyper-focused where I don't have to think about these things much. So there's there's a spectrum here in terms of analysis. I don't want people to think that overnight they can become skilled at this and confident in it. And we've done an episode on approach shot strategy. You can go back to that. So let's say you were walking up to your ball on the fairway and you had 150 yards to the hole. Having a good understanding of strategy can make this analysis more efficient and certainly help you arrive at the better decision more often. So we haven't done tee shots yet. We're going to do an episode on that. 
you can go back to our approach shot strategy. Certainly on putting, there's some different things to consider, like the the, the break and, and the and the speed. But you know, I think of analysis as like that poker moment where like you have to give it some attention and have this framework to use. Hopefully, a simple framework. So that it's not going to be overloading your brain. It's kind of happening like fairly quickly and, and, and kind of in the background because you don't want to take two minutes before every shot, of course. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, most of this stuff is automatic to me now, but there is a specific order. If I deconstruct what I do automatically, it's look at the lie, see what can be done, you know, with the, the trees around you, the, the lie itself, visualize what you want briefly. Then I, I think about distance first. So how far is it? How far is the flag? How far is the back of the green, front of the green? Where's the danger you know is it more dangerous over the back of the green or, or before the green giving yourself a nice buffer as well you got to think about then what's the wind doing to your distance what's the elevation doing to your distance what is the lie doing to your distance you know even even things like the tee box most people they look at the scorecard and they go oh it's 150 and then they pull out a certain club whereas i'm looking at well the scorecard says 150 but these tees are 20 yards back today and that pin is 20 yards or 15 yards farther on to the back of the green so this is really playing 35 yards longer than the the scorecard takes into account then it's uphill it's into the wind so i mean a shot could be playing 50 or more yards longer than the scorecard plays and good players take all of that stuff into account very quickly as well whereas amateurs they don't even attempt to take that into account they just see 150 they pull out their 150 club Certainly, there's there's a correlation to golfers with more skill and lower scoring averages definitely are more analytical before each shot. You want to pay attention to what's going on rather than just pulling that club out of the bag. I think one of the easy ways to achieve what Adam was talking about rather than looking at the scorecard, I think GPS watches or even the apps on your phone people use can help very quickly because you can quickly glance at your wrist and say, okay, you know, it's 155 to the center, 168 to the back. And again, you can go back to our approach shot episode and say, you know, I, I certainly encourage a lot of players to veer on that back yardage more. And that's why where a lot of mistakes get made because by choosing the wrong target and club selection, not taking into account elevation change, your lie, the wind, we're bleeding into strategy a bit here, but that's what analysis is, choosing the right club and target and, and shot. This is a place where I think a lot of golfers are, are throwing away at minimum several strokes around. And then by extension, after choosing the right distance and club, uh, you're going to choose your aim then, you know, what what kind of target you're going to have, how you're going to aim for that, which will take into account shot distributions, uh, shot patterns, your shot pattern. For example, I tend to miss, I would say 90% of my shots go some degree left of where I mentally aim. So I always factor that in. You know, that's not, it's not a mistake in air quotes. It's just what my ball does. And yes, I could change that and straighten it out, but I actually play very well just by aiming a little bit more right of my target. So, you know, most of the time I'm aiming at the right side of the green. And you might have strategies that are very consistent, aiming at the right side of the green. And then you just adjust them slightly if there's specific danger. So, you know, if there's danger on the right side and nothing on the left, I'm probably going to aim more at the middle of the green. Whereas if there's danger on the left and nothing on the right, I might not even aim at the green sometimes. Some golfers play the same course over and over again. So you should be able to, over time, figure out hopefully where the smart targets are rather than just kind of mindlessly aim, taking the yardage to the pin or something like that. 
certainly on tee shots, I would encourage people to try and have their decisions made before the round. We talked with Mark Brody in an episode where where he had found through his research aiming away from the big trouble, like Adam just said, like if you know there's OB on the right side of the hole or or a ton of trees or deep bunkers and there's not much trouble on the left, you're going to want to aim more left. These are the types of decisions you're going to make with your target is I think a lot of it has to do with avoiding the big trouble. But at the same time, you're not trying, this is very hard to do. You're trying to acknowledge the big trouble and pick the smartest target that helps you avoid it. Certainly not all the time, but gives you a better chance. But at the same time, I want to be hyper-focused on my target. Like I, I think if I think about my focus before a shot now versus a long time ago is that I'm way more focused on that specific target I've picked versus my mind kind of being cloudy with all those, oh, don't hit in that bunker there. Don't hit it out of bounds there. I think that's one of the hardest balancing acts to do in the pre-shot routine is acknowledge the trouble, but then pick the smart target and exclusively focus on that. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is why you have these in specific orders. So we've got a pre-shot analysis where we're going to pick an appropriate target, an appropriate aim. So you're acknowledging that there is danger there because we don't want to be completely blind to it. Because, you know, if there's water on the left and you don't acknowledge that and you just aim at the pin, which is on the left, then you're you're using a, a stupid strategy, really. So we need to acknowledge it. But then you know, you move into the next phase, which is the pre-shot preparation, where we're preparing mentally and physically. And that's where you might zone in. You might ask those questions of, or you do the visualization of exactly what I want to do. You know, I want to see the ball fly this way. I want to see it land here. So that's where you're zoning in your brain on what you do want then. So we, we do the preparation part, the analysis. Then we go into telling our brain what we do want. 
So when do you feel like you're transitioning between those two? So going from the pre-shot analysis now to the, we're in part number two, the the pre-shot preparation. Is there like something physically you do or like where do you draw that line? It's kind of the, the moment I pull the club out of the bag really. So most of the analytical stuff we've just talked about, looking at the lie, choosing distance, choosing aim, all that's done. I, I usually do that without a club in my hand for the most part. That's all. That's my intention. And then once once that's in my head, it's like, okay, I know the club. I know where I'm aiming now. And then I pull the club out of the bag. And it's right now is the time where I'm in pre-shot preparation mode. I'm, I'm basically mentally and physically preparing myself for the act of swinging the club now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, by the time I'm I'm going to my bag and pulling out the club I've chosen, I want that decision to be done with. You know, I think the main thing, and again, you're never going to be perfect at this because even plenty of the pros on TV can get to the execution phase of their pre-shot routine and they're wondering like, oh, maybe I should have hit a seven iron here. And so a lot of the times you'll see them back off. You know, they, they could be sticklers about the wind and stuff like that. But I think certainly for most players, if if you're looking at this in phases, I think that's a great kind of moment to say like, all right, by the time I'm pulling this club, I've made that decision and it's over with. Like, that's what I'm sticking with. Unless something like the wind changes completely. I, I can't imagine many other things changing the decision. So I think that's a great transition is saying like analysis is done, choice is complete. Now we're on to the preparation. So what are we doing now? I decide on what type of focus I'm going to have, my locus of attention, which we've talked about in previous talks. Topics or basically swing thought, right? What am I going to be thinking of over this ball? I'm deciding that back away from the ball. In fact, I may have decided my swing focuses before the round has even started. You know, I typically, I would say 90% of the time, if I'm hitting an eye and I'm focusing on ground contact, and if I'm hitting a driver, I'm focusing on face contact. Those are my consistent focuses. Now, that might change mid-round if a certain issue pops up that's causing, you know, causing strokes to be lost. You know, say, for example, I'm hitting extremely out of the toe with the irons. Then I might, I might decide to say, right, my focus over this iron shot is going to be face strike instead of ground contact. But I'm not, I'm not waiting till I'm over the ball to think, right, what am I going to be thinking of here? <laughs> That's all decided before you even reach the area where the golf ball is. When I think about what my routine is, it's generally the same. When I pull my club, I'm standing the b- behind the ball and kind of like looking at everything in general. I think for me, I've got, I take two practice swings with maybe like my last second feel for the shot. And as you said, sometimes that can adjust in the round. Like for example, I've mentioned in other episodes where like, let's say I notice that I'm hooking the ball too much one day. In my kind of pre-shot routine with those practice swings behind the ball, I might be thinking out to in swing path, you know, hit a fade here, but I'm not really going to hit a fade. I'm just trying to neutralize that into out swing path. So that's a moment for me to kind of get my quote unquote feels on the swing. And generally, they're, they're usually the same for me. I don't try and deviate too much. And I don't really think about, you know, mechanically too much what's going on in my swing. It's maybe just, I'm just hitting that, I'm seeing that draw that I'm always going to hit. So for me, simple is best. And yeah, I'm probably not as, I'm trying to get a little more disciplined, particularly on approach shots. I've noticed that my mind, especially in tournaments, is wandering a bit too much in this phase where I'm like worried about 
kind of nuking the ball over the green? Have I taken too much club? So this is something I've been trying to work on a lot is being a little bit more committed in this phase to approach shots in particular. Not necessarily with my swing thoughts, but more with with that club and target selection and trying to like leave that behind. But yeah, I, I do two practice swings behind the ball and I, I have a general like overall feel, nothing too specific though. Yeah, that's the physical part of the preparation. So I do the same as well. I do a practice swing. And as you said earlier in this podcast, every every part of this must have a purpose. You know, if you're just making a practice swing for the sake of it, then you don't necessarily need one. I don't recommend a practice swing to everybody. But for me, personally, it has a very specific purpose. Yeah, I think that was that was actually one of the questions I kept getting on Twitter posted our topic, people were saying like, well, I don't do a practice swing. Should I have one? Should I have one? Should I have two? Should I have five? And I don't think there's a right answer. And again, it gets back to my checklist is like, for me, I feel like those two practice swings have a lot of value because I'm thinking about my shot and kind of establishing that very basic feel. So I I like having them there. They kind of give me comfort. Some players might not need it. Yeah. For me, when I make that practice swing, it's interesting. I can actually tell where the ball would have gone, or at least I believe I can. I can tell where the ball would have gone based on the feel of the swing. And that's been honed, I believe, through all my differential practice. So because I know what it feels like to present like the face two degrees closed, four degrees closed, six degrees closed, and, and the other side, when I make a practice swing, I can go, oh God, that would have gone two degrees left. And then I can actually make an adjustment before I go and hit the shot. So say, for example, I make a practice swing and I go, ah, that's that would have gone left. I would then do something like weaken my right-hand grip to make sure that that doesn't happen. And while there's no way of knowing whether those adjustments are good or not, I would say that I've had more times where I've made an adjustment and hit a good shot after it. So I personally believe that those adjustments that I'm making help me. Because, you know, if you make an adjustment and then you end up hitting it to the right, you've basically caused that because you've added an adjustment based on the feel of the practice swing, if that makes sense. But um, no, I've had more times where I've made that adjustment and hit a good shot. So for me, the practice swing is like a dry run and I can actually feel what that shot would have done. Yeah, I think I'm probably doing something very similar in my head where I'm like thinking about where my face is oriented and and I'm I'm mostly thinking about for me, it's like my swing path and, and face orientation is the club too closed or open. And certainly making some mini adjustments based on what's happening in the round if I'm noticing like any specific trend. So yeah, that's really what I'm thinking about in those two practice swings. Again, I think that could be different for people. Like you see certain tour players like rehearsing very specific technical moves. Like you look at someone like Justin Rose comes to mind where he's got like that very exaggerated move or even Spieth now. I know he's working on a different move in his swing. So I think he's like flattening that lead wrist quite a bit and letting the club fall down, like exaggerating that. So I think all of those have value in their own right. But again, those players, not to make a comparison to tour players and recreational players, like there is a specific purpose for those players to be doing that. Or even look at Justin Thomas. He's got like that. He's always doing that checkpoint with kind of getting his club vertical. I know him and his dad have probably been working on that for years, Um, but it's something that probably makes him very comfortable in his pre-shot routine. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, the Justin Thomas one is probably more of a, a habit thing. It gives him comfort. It gives him a sense of security. But when you go to like the Spieth and the Rose, they, they're definitely trying something to gather a feel that battles one of their natural tendencies. So, you know, if, if they tend to go really much from the, from the inside on the downswing, they're probably going to practice an over the top feeling to get it somewhere in between. I feel like that's what I'm doing like 60, 70, 80% of the time. I'm doing the opposite of my my draw pattern swing, which is probably coming a little out to in on the practice swings when I want to like feel like I'm neutralizing it. And I think over the years, that's helped take a lot of curve off of my golf ball. We always say it, doing the opposite can help neutralize the fault. And I think for a lot of players, pre-shot preparation part of, of having a specific purpose of those swings, if you're going to have them, that's maybe a good idea for certain players. Definitely. You know, if I if I start to hit it left in the, in the middle of a round of golf, my practice swing, the purpose of my practice swing is I'm swinging left. I'm trying to swing left with an open face. I'm basically practicing the opposite of what makes it go left. And so I know that if I do that practice swing to gather that feel, and then that's my focus as I actually hit the shot as well. And so that neutralizes that left tendency. I don't know if this will fall into your pre-shot preparation definition, but I'll just let everyone know what I do. I've never seen another player do it. It's it's very specific. After I take my two swings, I then put my club and line up where I'm aiming. So like if I'm putting or hitting driver or an iron, it's, this is hard to describe. I will point the end of the club at my target and then I approach the ball with it still pointing there and it helps me have a visual reference over where I'm going to be aiming. I believe Justin Rose does something similar. He doesn't lie it on the ground like I do, but I think he kind of points the club in the air. I've seen him do something like that, but that's that's like my next phase of it. I'm not saying everyone should do that, but when I go from like the swing feel to the maybe target part of it, I, I, I do that on every single swing. It's something very specific that I do with the club on the ground pointing at my target. Are you finding an intermediate target there or? Is- no, it, it's like when I've picked out my line on the green or where I'm trying to hit the ball with my driver or whatever, like I just pointed at that. It's just something I've kind of settled on over the years and it kind of, I think it helps me commit to my target more, but I do it. The last part of that phase for me, the pre-shot preparation is to find an intermediate target. So is the alignment part. And so I pick something in front of the ball usually about maybe one foot to three foot in front of the ball. There's always a blade of grass that's distinctive or an old broken tee or something like that. And so that's the point where you see professionals, they'll stand back, they'll hold the club up vertically in front of their face. And basically what we're doing, if people can visualize this, is we're creating a line with the club shaft. So we're creating a line between the ball and our aim off in the distance. And then I slowly drop the club down until I find something on that line. So that is quite hard to visualize through a podcast. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's probably what I'm doing because it's hard for me to explain it. But like, as I address the ball, my club is pointing still at that at that target. So I don't have an intermediate target. It's like literally the golf club is pointing to where I'm where I'm looking at. So I know some people like to have the intermediate target for whatever reason my brain doesn't like that. 
But if I had to make a generic statement, you know, transitioning from if you are going to do those practice swings, then you are moving towards the like, okay, the target slash alignment part of the pre-shot routine, no matter what you do. I think that's a kind of a good general rule of thumb is like the last thing is is like, okay, where am I hitting this thing? Where am I going towards? And and then hyper-focusing on that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we've just got different ways of doing it. But the last part before we walk into the shot is basically picking some kind of intermediate target or lining up, you know, having a process. Yeah, mine is is very, like, you'd have to see a video of me doing it. It's quite bizarre, but I just do it. (laughs) I think I can imagine what what you're doing. Most pros do what I do, whether that's just trend you know they've seen other pros do it but yeah we we all use the club to find something on the line in front of our ball but um so we've yeah we've studied a lot here we looked at a lot we've looked at why have a pre-shot routine in the first place what's the what's the point of it we've talked about some anecdotes about you know when you don't have a good or a consistent routine what happens you know playing through people or hitting an important shot we've talked anecdotes about tiger's quote you know, of, of routine, routine, routine. He says he, he doesn't change it at all. He focuses on it a lot. We've talked about the study of the European tour players. So there are four kind of segments to a routine. We've got the pre-shot analysis, which, you know, we talked about looking at the live, visualizing what we want briefly, choosing the right distance and club, choosing the aim. And then I didn't say this, but adjusting the aim as well for any wind or lie. So, you know, I might want to aim at the right side of the green to give myself a nice buffer either side of it or the middle of the green to give a nice buffer either side of it. But if the wind is blowing in a certain direction, I'm going to adjust that aim to account for that. And then we've looked at the pre-shot preparation as well, which is, uh, sorry, the the uh, deciding on the swing focus, doing a practice swing with a purpose adjusting it if necessary and then um yeah picking an alignment so we've got two things left in the routine we've got the in shot routine so that's actually as you're standing over the ball and then we've got the post shot routine which is you know the kind of analysis that you do after the shot should we do those in a different podcast we're up to 50 minutes now yeah i think we should definitely separate those last two I like to think of it, there, there's certainly a lot of coaches who have different words for it, but some of my parting thoughts on at least this part of what we've discussed, which is like, maybe you'll call it the pre-pre-shot routine, but like everything we've discussed, the analysis, and then like that preparation behind the ball, I view that as like this separate box, like before you get into like what I'd call like maybe the execution zone. So you're like, you're thinking about choosing a smart target, factoring all those things in, getting your swing feel if you're going to do that behind the ball and picking your target like that's all like okay these are like before execution phase and then when you step into it i guess what we're going to talk about next episode that's when it's like all right all that stuff's done it's behind me i'm just going to make it happen now and and i think we could talk about that in the next episode but I just think it's if you can create your own routine that accomplishes a lot of this without taking too much time, you know, using smart analysis on picking the right targets, you know, certainly we've given people some help on strategic decisions and we'll continue to do that in different episodes and picking the right target. And just like, you know, giving it some thought rather than just like what I used to do is just I would just kind of like aimlessly step up to the ball and haphazardly have 
a random swing thought, pick a random target, and then just hope for the best. <laughs> and it didn't go that well for me. So I would say that- I've always been quite methodical and analytical. Yeah, and I tried to be, but like I think it would change so much that it, it ended up being haphazard. And for a long time, getting back to the the idea of like not doing stuff just for the sake of doing it, I think I was so focused on looking like I was doing the right routine Like I would look all serious and do all these things. And like, I wasn't really accomplishing anything. I think I was just trying to look the part and it wasn't doing anything for me. So that's, that's a really important distinction to make is that if you're going to take the time to do this stuff, make sure it has purpose and and kind of checks off, at least in in the the phases we've discussed so far, checks off a lot of those boxes. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it. You just brought up a, I almost had a flashback there of the first time I said, oh, I'm always very, oh, I've always been very methodical. I remember learning the routine. And as you said, I, I initially started by doing things just for the sake of it because I saw pros doing doing it. Yeah, exactly. You wanted to look the yeah, part. But there's almost a backlash from that in, in effect in my own mind in that I remember there's a specific memory coming back to me now where I'm standing, I'm playing with new players and there are other people watching me. And I'm doing this very professional routine and my brain is going... God, I hope I hit a good shot here because this routine, this routine makes people think that I'm a good player. So there is that almost negative effect of having, um, I would say don't make your routine so long that if you hit a bad shot, you don't want to be embarrassed that you've just gone through 20 steps and taken 30 minutes to do it all. And then all of a sudden you duff it five foot in front of you. You can do all this very quickly. Most of this routine stuff is done for me in a minute. And most of that minute is taking place when other people are hitting their shot. You know, while my playing partner's hitting the shot, I'm analyzing where do I want to hit it? What club am I going to use? What's the distance? What's the lie even? So I didn't want to throw a point in that takes away from what we've done there, but it really ties in with the make sure this routine is consistent, but quick. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the stuff we've discussed, like if you watched me probably on the golf course, all you would really see me doing are those two practice swings, the alignment thing, and then I hit all 95 percent of the other stuff is all going on in my head and I, I try i don't i've never been i've never had an issue of being a slow player i've been put on the clock before in many tournaments but it was always because of someone else um so i i i wouldn't consider myself a lightning fast player but i get this stuff done fairly quickly it really i have one of those things in me where like i have this one of my biggest pet thieves and fears in life in general is wasting other people's time so if i'm on the golf course and i feel like we're holding groups up behind me like it just bothers me a lot so i definitely want to stress that the same thing that adam said is that this doesn't have to look like you're a robot or pga tour pro I certainly don't want you looking like Jason Day with the visualization thing before each shot that go, seems to go on forever. You can get this done relatively quickly. And, it, and and I think the main thing is this is the consistency. You don't have to be 100% consistent, but if you can get better at approaching each shot with consistency, then I think it can achieve a lot of the things I want a pre-shot routine to achieve, which is certainly dealing with nerves unlocking your skill and your athletic ability and letting it happen versus trying to like don't over don't let your mind overtake the pre-shot routine and make you worried about all the things that can go wrong so it's definitely a two-sided coin because we talked about a lot but at the same time when you watch it on the course this shouldn't take more than like 30 seconds 40 seconds to pull the trigger 
Yeah, I mean, the big part of the pre-shot routine is freeing up your mind over the golf shot. So, you know, you get all this stuff that we just talked about, your, your direction and all that stuff. Well, you get that done before you're over the shot because it's horrible to watch an amateur stand over a golf ball. And you can see, number one, they're probably going through a procedural list of, right, I've got to get my grip here, my ball position here. You know when someone's standing over it a long time, they're going through a checklist of internal technical swing thoughts normally. And that's no no good. Oh, I, I don't like watching that. Yeah, yeah it's tough to that's watch. That's fine to do on the range if you're working on stuff. But you've got to be more instinctive, more reactive on the golf course generally. You know, one one technical swing thought maximum really over, over the golf ball. But uh, yeah, you don't want to stand over the golf ball and think, "Oh, is this gonna is this gonna go left? Or did I did I pick the right club here? Or oh, I should have that lie looks a little funky now. I'm over it. I should should have done a different shot." Or you don't want all these thoughts over the ball. You want to be in a in a space where you get over the shot. You're reacting to it. All the analytical stuff has been done beforehand. Yeah, and I think that's why segmenting it can give you a better chance of that happening. I don't think we're ever going to eliminate that that last second second guessing it still happens to the greats but we can reduce them with this routine so that you can at least segment these decisions and at least say like okay that part is over with now i'm going to move on to the execution phase and hopefully it will be fast enough that you don't be that person standing over the ball with that 10 uh bullet point list of, of swing thoughts I have to mention this one thing that was <laughs> posted on Twitter is hilarious. I wrote the question, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about the pre-shot routine on the next Sweet Spot episode. Any questions? And Lou Stagner, who many of you probably know from Twitter, is a great stats guy. Um, we're definitely going to have him on in, in the near future. Uh, he wrote back, how much shame should you feel in the pre-shot routine? <laughs> and it got a ton of likes because it was hilarious. But I just thought that was <laughs> a really great way to... to I mean, he was being a little tongue in cheek there, but that's what we're trying to avoid people from doing is is being analytical and non-emotional and getting through it so that you don't feel the shame that I hope Lou is not feeling on the golf course when he plays. Right. So we uh, finish up there on this part and do and, and finish off the rest of the routine next next round. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about the in-shot routine and post-shot routine, which I actually think is a, is a great topic that is not talked about enough in the next episode. So Adam, where can everyone find you? AdamYoungGolf.com. And John, where can everybody find you? You can find me at practical-golf.com. Thanks to everyone for their continued support. Keep leaving us reviews on iTunes and smashing the subscribe button. We'll see you next time.